Oh, yeah, Spence. I'm so stoked to be back here once again on our Ventura Forward Podcast. We're always searching for those tasty waves, hot tunes, fun in the sun, righteous food, and all the news across the AO5. On this show, we're going to be breaking down those segments as we've been roaming across the 805 with our journalistic point of view, talking to those good people, finding out what's going on. Spence, how you feeling moving into March? Yeah, feeling great. Got the big parade coming up on the 11th. Always fun for the city of Ventura and people all over Ventura County. The snow was awesome. I can never get too many snow photos, and we got a bunch of those here at KVTA. So uh, good times. Uh, the reservoirs, for the most part, are full. Uh, Casitas needs a little help still, but I think we're looking great. Beautiful time to be in Ventura. Yo, yeah, and we're going to wrap up a little bit of that PSG Fairgrounds conversation. It's been topic for the last few weeks, and it will continue. But, ooh, what a meeting it was last week. A little ruckus, there was some booing and some cheering. Even some people trying to disrespect E.P. Foster. But, hey, it shows energy that people love our city. And that classic line you gave me, there's always a rub. People say that change happens, and there's rub with change. So, Spence, guess what? There's always something happening. Yeah, it's a big one. A lot of people want to see the fairgrounds improved, certainly, but many people don't want it to be improved the way that this group wants it, and uh, everybody wants to go one way or the other. And I had never heard, uh, it's been a long time since I've heard a a crowd that surly. Yes. I mean, they were talking over speakers and uh, yelling, and it uh, it was fun to be at. Uh, but it was uh, a little out of control, I would say. And I found out there's a lot of people at that meeting that love the raceway. Absolutely. Certainly. And mm-hmm. there's somebody that we're bringing into studio for number 46 today that understands what it's like to have that leadership, to have that type of energy behind the community, and has put herself in the spotlight the last few years spent to be a leader. Episode 46, where she's leading the 7-Eleven Committee Measure E campaign to get the schools a bunch of millions of dollars. And our current school board president and my proud friend, Sabrina Rodriguez, welcome to the podcast today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm so happy to have you in studio to bring that amazing leadership that you've had of being in charge of the school district as a volunteer and also the humility you bring of bringing my friend, talking to me on the phone, countless, maybe even close to 100 hours now, Sabrina. We'd say that publicly. (laughs) Don't tell only a few listeners. But it's been five years now, and I really wanted to bring you in because I made the top 100 list. I think you're on it because that list for me was about accountability. And Spence brought it up right there. It's so tough to be a leader and to have that onus and that responsibility on the community and still be a community member. You've done that really well. You've been in the forefront of the face of that, um, whether it was, it was last time with his negotiations, whether it was during COVID restrictions, whether it was Thomas Fire. And I was speaking, you can remember back then at the Board of Supervisors talking to you about the mask and how we should maybe keep our kids off the playgrounds and working on our ventilation systems. Uh, we worked on vaping and not having flavored vaping. So these spent, these are more things that are coming across my plate right now that Sabrina's been involved with. Sabrina, those are a few things. Thank you for your advocacy. And how are you feeling right now? Like we bring in Ventura for that stoke. How are you feeling right now about Ventura and what's kind of maybe your current stoke? What are you burning on right now? What's happening? Um, you know, I, I mean, I feel good. I think it's great to have our schools back open having our kids doing all of the normal things that we had taken a little bit for granted before covid and now being able to have field trips and um, all of the sporting activities all of the social activities that they love and that we as community members and families love and it's great to have parents back on campus you know that was something that we lost during the covid time and um, that sense of community that our public schools bring um, really suffered during that time of isolation, and it's great to have it back because it's, you know, I think our public schools are the heart of the community. I think it's where people um, connect, engage. It's the, For many families, it's the first place that they really kind of become a part of a community, mm-hmm. and then that sticks with them for many years. You know, the friends you make when your kids are in elementary yeah. school are your friends for many years. That kindergarten year, the preschool one's big, but that kindergarten, looking to that first one and making those first con- friends and connections is, I think, a pinnacle pot spot. Yeah. N- no doubt about it. Yeah. Your kids are in elementary school for six years. It's the longest time they're in any one school, right? Mm-hmm. So that sense of community you develop with your kids' elementary school is critical. Spence, where'd you go to elementary school? Glenwood Elementary, Thousand Oaks, California. Mrs. Goodwin was my kindergarten teacher, and it was, uh, it was nice. It was great. My kids didn't miss school during the pandemic 
until they did. And that was the weird part. It was like, cool, we're out. This is so, I want to go back. It yeah. was weird how that arc went very, very quickly from, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world to, man, I miss my friends, kind of like my teacher. Uh, and they do like order. They yeah. do like order in their life. And I think school definitely provides that. So it was so important we could get the kids back. What about you, Sabrina? Where did you go to elementary school? <laughs> so I grew up in Madeira, uh, north of Fresno, small farming community. Um, and uh, I went to James Monroe Elementary School. Miss Bigger was my first teacher. And um, it's, you know, it was a very different environment. I think it was probably more comparable to, say, growing up in Santa Paula. Um, you know, rural um, and uh, So this small, is c- Central California. Yeah, Central California. Central California. And what town again? Madeira. Madeira. What's the closest, Modesto to that? or So Bar- Madera County is um, the entryway to Yosemite. So um, it's north of Fresno and has a lot of farmland and also the, you know, the Yosemite. So the California entrance. Stoke was early for your family, right? Like where, was, what was your dad doing for work? What were your parents doing in Madera? What took him there? <laughs> um, so, uh well, my, my mom immigrated here as a child from Puerto Rico with her family, and they moved to Madeira. So when my parents got married, they moved back up from L.A. They moved back up to Madeira because oh. they wanted to raise their family in a small town. Had a lot of um, small town charm at the time. And uh, my mom worked for the DMV pretty much my whole childhood, um, and she, she loves customer service. She's always that person that's trying to help people. Mm. And my dad worked in computers. Okay, so the Madeira DMV wasn't a big one? No. Not a long way. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the thing is, as a kid growing up in a small town, when your mom works at the DMV, you can get away with nothing, Mm -hmm. right? Because everybody goes to the DMV. And so someone's parent would invariably say, hey, I saw your kid. You know, she was doing whatever. So I was held accountable a lot as a kid. And high school, what was the name of the high school? Madera High. Madera High. What was the mascot? (laughs) Coyotes. Coyotes. Is there like a special coyote cheer? Like a, Anything? You should know, Spencer. I wouldn't remember if there were. <laughs> well, what was Sabrina like in high school then? Because it makes a good point. So the graduating class is maybe 100 <clears throat> kids, 150 here in Madeira High. What was your role then? Because, you know, being the school board president, I think if you went back and forth, you'd think, oh, she was probably ASB president, captain. What was, were you, what, was you, what were you like in high school? What was that prototypical stereotype? So first, our, our, our school actually was really big because it's the only high school in the county. Mm. So um, it was 2,000 students. Whoa. And um, uh, I, was, I, I was very successful academically, but I was also a three-season athlete. So I played basketball, water polo, and swimming. And, um, you know, I, I, I loved school. It was something that was important to my family. And um, I have two older sisters. They both were, you know, very good students. It was something that was just expected of us. And uh, yeah. I wasn't – I wouldn't say um, – involved in any leadership kind of positions, but I loved school, did well in school, and, you know, like sports. How is your, like, love for Madeira now? Is it something that's deep in your hometown? Like, is it, and is it growing up there? I mean, not knowing that, because you say small town, and then you go into a high school of 2000, that has to be a transition at the heart of Yosemite. Sounds like a lot of fun, because you're into sports. I know you have a, a love for nature. You love to hike. So a good forward podcaster, if I must say in the first eight minutes, is this is a good understanding about your upbringing for me and then does that love and passion still go back there and is it growing there as you kind of see your leadership here because you have such a role in you know declining enrollment uh keeping our teachers here i know a lot of your passions about that does that equal to your hometown still in ways um so i wouldn't say i'm connected to my whole hometown at all i i always felt like i didn't really fit in there um as a latina growing up in a farming town i didn't really fit those kind of you know um traditional expectations. But um, what I would say I I took away from that is that strong sense of community and how important it is to know your neighbors and that being involved in making a difference locally in your town matters, especially when you are in a place where, you know, there aren't a lot of other options for folks. So um, in that town, you know, in Madeira at the time, there wasn't a community college. So many people didn't continue their education. They would go straight out of high school to work. Um, so, you know, having that as part of my experience, I think, has made me value community and also made me really want to make sure that our kids have great opportunities because that was something that I didn't see in my town growing up. I love that, Spence. You can see, too, from five years I've known Sabrina, so many different 
politicians and leadership roles have changed over, but here she is. And I think it's a good understanding, too, of that dedication to our community that most politicians and leaders don't want to ultimately take on. You want to get the votes, you want the ego, but do you want the role as a leader to move forward? That's what I think is awesome about you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I will just say I love our public schools. I believe you know, firmly in the power of a public education to change people's lives, right? Like for me, my parents um, wouldn't have been able to put me in private schools. I got a great education from our public school system in the town that I grew up in. It was a small town, but a really great education. And I think it prepared me for, you know, the rest of my life. And I want us to provide that kind of opportunity for our kids. I want every kid in Ventura to have a great education and to reach their brightest future, right? It's not always going to be the same. Every kid has their own path. But whatever it is they want to achieve and whatever it is they feel like is, you know, their burning reason to be here on the planet, we want to help them do that. Let's stay right there. That burning reason to exist. <laughs> That's that stoke. The shareage of the stoke that Christian created so long ago, Spence, almost a year ago, that we always refer to. And we know that everyone on this podcast has one thing in common, and that's all we care about, is that we love Ventura. And that's that bonding force that makes you be a Venturan, whether you're here for one day, one year, or let's say seven generations, or from the beginning of time, this is America and this land here where you can love it equally. And that's what's so fun is that I know that from you right away when we were doing that five years ago, and I've loved to share that with you, but if we ask you right now at the bottom of that fire, that eternal glow, is it that for your community passion for Ventura, the, the kids and creating the opportunity, do we hit that on the head right there if you look at your passion? Yeah, absolutely. People ask me all the time if I have interest in getting involved in other issues in our community, but you know what I care about are kids, and I think it's the thing that we can, we can do that will really have the longest impact for our community providing a great upbringing for our community's children, you know, that's our future, not only as a, as a community, but as a state and as a nation. We really want to make sure these kids have the life skills, the, the sense of value of themselves so that they can navigate a really complex world and they can be productive and they can contribute and maintain the sense of community that we're working so hard to build. Let's get after it. We know Sabrina's motivations. We know her agenda. And now let's talk about some of that future of this. One of the topics coming in here is the declining enrollment. Mm. I really think it just really opens up the whole conversation for our town, for our city, for our state, maybe even the, the country, about our attitude about public schools. There's a committee started, um, a declining enrollment committee. I think there's a meeting this week, public mm -hmm. meeting this week that I plan to attend. Can you touch there real fast for our listeners uh, that are active this week? That we, you know, Sabrina's awesome. We know what she's done. We know what she's gonna do. But let's get a little detailed. What are some of the goals we're looking for the declining enrollment? How is you can a leader help us stop losing so so we don't have to maybe close these schools? Because I haven't heard one person in this community that wants to close one of our great schools yeah. or wants to really just grab this. But do you can you share what you think maybe or our future can detail with that and how we can stop the declining enrollment and why we were declining? Yeah, so first let's start with kind of why we're declining. So the the state's enrollment as a whole is declining, right? So it's not just something that's happening in Ventura Unified. In the public schools. Public, well, actually in or, all schools. Okay, thank um, you. That's important because, for me, public and yeah. private. So um, what we're seeing is, one, people are having fewer children, right? So even though the population as a whole is increasing, the number of children that families are having is decreasing. So And they're they're waiting longer to have kids. So we're, we're experiencing that decline all over the state. Also, this is an expensive place to live, right? So we find that some families move out of the area because they can't afford to live here, right? They're, it's hard on two incomes and with kids to be able to afford to pay rent or to buy a house. So people move to less expensive communities, whether that's moving inland or moving all the way to like the San Joaquin Valley, right? People are moving other places. Um, and then, you know, we have a, a much smaller percentage of people who are choosing not to put their kids in public school. For me, I feel like that's not an area I'm going to focus a lot on because people have those choices. If, if you want your child to have a faith-based education, then that's a priority for your family. That's something you're going to seek out, right? And that's great. And, and what we want is to make sure that for the, the families who are choosing a public education, that we're offering great options and that they're choosing to stay in our community for those great options. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is Ventura County is the, the county in the entire state with the second highest rate of decline. So again, not Ventura Unified, Ventura County is losing more students than almost every other state in the, uh, every other county in the state. Mm. Um, the only county that's ahead of us is Los Angeles County. And you know, again, I think that's probably tied more to economics than it is anything else. So now within that bigger context, you look at, okay, what does that mean for our local schools? You have Ojai Unified has lost half of their students in the last 10 years. So they went from a 5,000 student enrollment to 2,000 and change. Right, so th those are big numbers, and it's really hard to adjust your staffing and your schools to accommodate those kind of changes. In Ventura Unified, we went from a high of 17,500 students to now we're at uh, about 15,500 students. Mm -hmm. That's a big shift, and we have to figure out what is what is the you know what is the right size for our staffing structure. What are the right size for our schools? So that we can be those hubs, those heart of the community, that neighborhood base that an elementary school or middle school can be, mm -hmm. but at the same time we can stay fiscally solvent, right? Because we, you know, we don't have investors. We can't raise our prices. We have to live within the budget that we're given by the state. If we need to get more money, let's say, because I look at stuff like ratio of students and children per funding from the state. You look at like Massachusetts and Vermont. It seems like, I don't want to quote numbers, but they're almost like half or double the, the amount, whether it's like $17 per day, they're at $34. Those are just fictitious numbers. Yeah. But how would we go about that? Because for me, being the PTO president of Cabrillo Middle School, which I'm having a great experience, class sizes are kind of the one size about that. So if you look at declining enrollment, it seemed like kind of one option would have opened. Now we have classrooms than to have kids with more teachers and less kids there because 35 to 40 kids per class or even 30, maybe even 25 kids. Like obviously expectations have changed over the last few decades. But would that be something that like what would be not, not in the whole, I'm sure it's a bigger question I'm asking, but what would be the general source? Do you go to the state and ask for more public school funding? Yeah, essentially. I mean, California has always been at the bottom of per pupil spending in the nation, mm. right? Which is crazy because we're such a large economy. Is there a reason behind that? Is like we spend a lot of money on other things. But, but, but like when you go to these big meetings, is there like an unspoken like whiskey room conversation happening where it's like, you know what? They just totally don't care about us. Like what? There's got to be some systemic thought process that Massachusetts and these people that seem to have a higher education, a higher per university graduation rate, because they're putting more into the publics, is it is it that simple for us to say that they can put more money in but they don't want to? Um, I think it's also funding structure. So a lot of other states, your um, education is based on your local property taxes, right? So like Texas is an example. You pay your property taxes directly to your school district. You don't pay them to the state, which then goes, you know, you pay a portion to your county and your state, and then you pay a portion that stays locally. That's not the way the California system is set mm -hmm. up. All of our taxes go up to Sacramento, and then they get reapportioned out to um, different needs, right? So part of it is that. We don't have as much local control over how much mm. we raise and you know where it goes. Um, but also, I think it's just mm. that as a, as a state, we rely very heavily on investors in terms of that's where most of our revenue comes from as a state, right? It's um, the, the wealthiest 1%. Um, and so if you're looking at like, well, you know, how do we generate more money? It is really either we need to change the tax structure in the state of California or we need to apportion more of what we're getting as a state to education. And we've tried that and it hasn't been wildly successful. What do you think, Spence? A lot of stuff going on. Well, one of the issues, though, if you did do the property tax directly, a county like Ventura might be able to feed its school a lot more than a poor county. So do they exactly. put it all in? Because think of the Beverly Hills School District. Property tax, those schools would be to the moon. Absolutely. Where uh, maybe where you were raised would be difficult because less money. So California might be doing that to perhaps be fair overall. Yeah, and there were some early court cases that, that helped set that bar, right, that made sure that every school district in the state is being funded at the same rate, which is not true in other states. Um, but it also kind of uh, constricts us in terms of what we can do, what we can advocate for, because it takes all advocacy straight to the state. Mm. And that gets to me, the bigger conversation is how big this state is. You know, you go to the East Coast, 10 states can fit inside this. 39 million people. This big old honker. Yeah. 
gosh, I just wish that we could not divide this state, but somehow create like fictitious line spents to get more <clears throat> jurisdictional control. Because Almost a gerrymandering of districts to say a rich district would also have to bend into a poor district so you could proportion the money in a fair fashion. Not that I want to get out a marker and do that on the state of California. <laughs> it would be pretty intense, but it might make sense. Well, and not to show Sabrina too, uh, off this topic of where we started with the declining enrollment, but it would help the state really bring value to show that they're creating something new. We're not just stuck in the mud. Like if people are leaving and people are ex exiting and this, this fundamental system of public schools that we believe in so much, you know, of that diversity of being involved in one space with everybody is the heart. I think it's like the heart of California. That's why I moved home from Washington because I didn't like the public schools up there as much. And I wanted to come home to Juana Maria to have that diversity that I had about growing up with kids at the camp and growing up with the Eastsiders and growing up with the kids over here. Like whatever that melting pot was for me, I loved it in my own little sphere. And that's what I think you described it in Medina, right? That's that core of your community. And I got to keep that in there. And I'm telling everybody else, even these private schools, whether it's religions or economic or trade school stuff, stay in the lowest form of inclusion inclusion as long as you can because that's going to develop that foundation i believe of communication so thank you for being a big fan of that sabrina and in the declining enrollment talk how can we help how can we get involved there and what else can you continue to talk about that as far as what's moving forward with the declining enrollment are we well, are, are schools in the close do you see that in the future can i ask you that's that? certainly a possibility i i would not like to see that that's not something i personally support but the reality is that it um is expensive to maintain smaller schools um and you know at some point as a community we may have to make that decision our our neighboring districts are making those kinds of decisions and so far we've been able to avoid it but you know it's uh it's definitely a possibility and if you look at schools from the past my glenwood elementary had a full kitchen they had women in there that literally cooked the food right there. Each school did that. And then over 20, 25 years, the central kitchen, then things started being you know, provided by Domino's on contract and things like that. So when I look at everything that's changed since I was a kid, I mean, you would, they would make meatloaf for crying out loud, and you couldn't leave the cafeteria until you were done. It was, it, when I look at what's happening now, and what happened then, it is so bizarre. I went... When my kid was in grammar school, I went to the school for a daddy day, and I was looking around, and I thought, you're kidding me. There's kids walking around with cans of soda and Takis, and I'm looking at that going, oh, hell no, when I was in school. <laughs> no, even if it, it was you were judged by what you pulled out of your brown bag in school. Sure. Back then, they, they would talk to you about it because of the nutrition. And you look, if you tried to pull that now, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not there, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, so first, uh, w what you mentioned about those home-cooked meals, I just wanted to share that that's one of the things I love about our district. We actually still make. We have kitchens at each of our schools. And with a few exceptions, there are a few schools that don't have a full kitchen, but they make all of the food for that on site and it's fresh it's not they're not defrosting things they're making the roast chicken they're they're roasting it it's wow. not coming from a bag um, good news that's, that's amazing because in the canaro valley unified school district i worked there for four years when i was in college and we had cheese that was older than me <laughs> well i love the fact that we we still have i mean i call them our cafeteria ladies and i probably should come up with a better term but you know they are the, they're they're the heart and soul of that that experience for kids because the kids come in they're hungry right and they're they're doling out some affection and you know great meal it's very healthy we still do we partner with you know some outside people for pizza day and, well, that's and a all treat. that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it, that's a treat. but the vast majority mm. of our meals are made in-house. And actually, one of the things, we, we've actually sought a, a grant from the state of California to bring back baked goods that we bake in-house. So making, wow. you know, scratch cinnamon rolls and cookies and and all of those things for our own kids with real ingredients. Maybe and the best. budgets, wow. Because I'm, I don't think T.O. flipped because I, I was... I, it was a long time ago, but I worked there from like 80 to 84. And uh-uh, it was all in packs that you ripped yeah. open and they had like six tater tots and something that looked like a burrito. Um, <laughs> it was really, I will say flat out, it's yeah. nasty. And back yeah. then I was in such good shape. 
I would go in, and the kids would look at me and say, what do you do? What do you eat? And I'd go, not this. <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> suddenly say, not this, not this. Where when I was a child, like exactly as you described, you literally got a piece of sliced meatloaf by the woman who yeah. sliced it. Then the next day, it could be something like a pork chop, for crying out loud. We got chicken. We got everything. You got a leg and a wing and yeah. a little thing of mashed potatoes and some green beans. That's the way it went. Yeah, and, and you and have that, that is, now. That is still very common in I'm our I'm very schools. impressed. Um, That's I, I love it when I show up on Meatball Day, I have to just say, because it's like. <laughs> Why do you love it, Sabrina? <laughs> because I'm like, oh, it smells so, so good. So good. Uh-huh. Right? Like, and, you know, it is. It, I will say one of the challenges of that is that kids don't have the time to really sit down and eat it. So mm-hmm. I think there is still a lot of waste. And unfortunately, um, because of the nature of our school day, a lot of times kids come in and they don't have, you know, 20 minutes to sit down and eat a lunch and then get outside and play. So we do see a lot of food waste, which is heartbreaking knowing how many kids are also going hungry. Um, but that tends to be more of a scheduling issue and not a quality of the food issue. And that's important. You know, you've got to have in a good workplace, you know, you've got to have a proper amount of time to eat. And I think that's it. You're, so you're definitely in the right neighborhood as far as I'm concerned. That's wonderful that you make food there like that. I'm amazed. Uh, but you do have to tell the kids, sit down with them and say, you know, it's really important that you consume this and then have your talkies. It's really important that you do this because I'm all for fun food. But it was so nice that we had the staples. And then, you know, once a month, there would be something unique, even back in the old days. Yeah. I got to go to one of these kitchens. It would bring back. I would some, love I'd to have take some you. flashbacks. I'd love to see it. <laughs> Who decides the menu? I know I'm going way too deep. On yeah, you know what? But, You're but just no, but hijacking <laughs> the podcast. But it's important. So it's who decides today is chicken, tomorrow is. And for so kids it's, it's with special standardized needs. standardized across the district. So okay. everyone is cooking the same thing every day. What um, about a vegan kid? What about a nutcase? Uh, and I'm not by a kid being a nutcase. We, we do accommodate <laughs> things like, you know, if, if a kid's vegetarian. I know okay. my kids were vegan for a time when they were in our schools. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the, the, the cafeteria staff would help them choose some things that they could eat. But it's not like a, <laughs> not, a full it meal. It does happen. Yeah, it's not like on the airplane. And it's probably like 2 or 3% <laughs> of the kids. Uh, I love that. I love food. I am so into food. Well, a freshman comes in one day, I just had meat. I'm a vegan. Would you become a vegan yesterday? It's yeah. just like so classic. How could you deal with those? I got to go I got to go to one of these kitchens. Can we really can you I take special? Yeah, can we go on yeah. a tour? Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely go on a tour. I would love to. Oh. And you know what's great? So, um, during the pandemic, one of the things that really changed for us is that the federal government stepped up to do unlimited meals for kids, right? So not only were they providing when we were closed, the take home meals and and fully subsidizing that, but then now our state has stepped up to say every kid at every school can eat for free, regardless of what their family's income is. So that has really been a game changer because it's not just kids whose families can't afford to send a meal to school that are getting our hot lunches, right? everyone can get a free hot lunch. And so you get a lot more kids participating and eating lunch at school. And our lunches are very healthy. You know, we're strictly mandated by the state and the feds to make sure that we're providing vegetables and fruits. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of the juice box, but uh, I liked the chocolate milk, I'll just say it. But uh, (laughs) is chocolate milk not available? Chocolate Chocolate milk milk is great after so that was a Chocolate federal change. After a workout, <laughs> who made this rule? I got to talk to him. It couldn't have been when Arnold was uh, governor. Anyway, I, I really appreciate that information. Though. That that is yeah, fantastic. I'd love to take you on a tour. And its nutrition is essential. It's it's the start of everything. And the stigma of a kid not being able to afford or having a lesser meal goes away. Absolutely. Good. Okay, we're done. Since you talk, talk Check, about please. food, let's get up into <laughs> our sponsors. This podcast is rolling along, folks. 30 minutes. we got about fun 15 minutes left. 46, episode 46. Thank you to all the listeners. Every week you tune in. You're absolutely my buddies, my pals. I really appreciate you. Let's keep it going. Remember, sponsor, share, follow. Keep all of it going. Ventura Ford is growing at least by a couple dozen people a day. We're taking over Ventura. Because Ventura loves us because we are Ventura. Sponsors, let's go. Starting off with Ray Fresco, always bringing in a classic tune from the beginning of this podcast. We love you boys. Looking forward to the spring and summer events. Sabrina, question for you. Yeah. Ventura Music Hall, fun place to go to. We're offering tickets there for our pseudo reporters. You know you have free tickets there, right? And you have to report and tag a story mm-hmm. if you go. I went and saw... 
Melvin Seals Spence, the original member of the Jerry Garcia band this weekend. Mm. Awesome job. And they said the night before they had a punk show where the mosh pit was coming up to the bar. Shows you the diversity of this place. When is the last time you, Sabrina, have been to a live concert? <laughs> Are we not counting student concerts? Because I go to a lot of student performances. That's fair. As the president, you can vouch that out. Uh, yeah. So uh, the last concert I was at was the Ventura County Honor Band, um, which was held at Ventura High School. And it was uh, students from around the county who were selected based on their performances. And it was great. Uh, that's honestly, I mean, I think the last band that I saw was Flogging Molly at uh, at Ventura uh, at the Ventura Majestic uh, a few years ago so pre pre covid pre covid whoa and how many times have you been to concerts at the Ventura High School since then do you think oh at Ventura High School I go to at least four or five a year yeah I love her Spence see that <laughs> That's dedication. Here she is, the president. She's been to 20 shows in the last four or five years. So music programs are strong? Yeah, so our orchestral programs are amongst the best in the nation. We have um, our Ventura High School Orchestra has competed nationally and is consistently ranked amongst the best programs in the country. Nice. How's jazz? Our jazz program is great. And, you know, Mario Bacali at Cabrillo, a, a fantastic jazz practitioner himself, but also runs an amazing jazz performance program. And what's great is they'll actually go to some of our senior living centers and play for the residents because it's a great, you know, a lot of people, young people don't necessarily appreciate jazz, but some of those seniors um, really love it, brings them back. And um, it's great. The middle schoolers get to go and play for someone who loves the music. If you're taught on jazz, rock is easy. Right. That's the deal. Pop-up question via Instagram. Ooh. Let's go here. Do you know if there's going to be an update on the surplus property meeting? Is there a meeting that's supposed to be coming up with this? Surplus property stuff? Uh, we just started a um, property committee uh, within the district. So the surplus property process is done. The 711 committee, okay. that was completed. They provided their report to the board, and it was accepted I want to say a year and a half ago or so, um, hmm. during COVID at some point. Um, so the properties that are surplus have already been determined surplus. There isn't really an update because the board hasn't even had a conversation around whether or not we want to do anything with any of those surplus properties. Um, it's kind of the first step is to um, decide whether or not some of those properties can be used for our purposes. Okay. And then later on is, you know, do we sell them? Do we redevelop them? Do we use them for something else? So no official update per se than just... No. Awesome. Okay, thank you listeners for checking that out. I appreciate that. Uh, Ventura Real Estate Company. Derek Turner, one of the coolest guys out there catching the windsurfing, the foiling. Commissioner Turner, you're the man. He wants to know, Sabrina, you're on the top 100 coolest list. <laughs> Who do you think Ventura's coolest three are individuals? Ooh, that's so hard. Mm, I, I know it is. Oh, just there's a little disclaimer. You can't choose the two guys in this room either. <laughs> um, well, I will just say, so um, I had a beer the other day with Matt LeBeer, and I'm, I, I, I just love Matt. I, one of the things that I really appreciate about him is that He's just so community oriented and just loves talking with people. You know, that's a hard part of this job, um, but it's for me and it's like part of what I enjoy the most and we have that in common. So definitely put Matt up there and, and not because he's county supervisor, but just because he's a really good guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. That's tricky. You know, mm-hmm. I've been really impressed with Liz Campos. Really? Like she's been really like all in to her new role. And um, and I appreciate that. You know, we don't we don't always agree politically, but that's OK. I really care about whether or not somebody really is like in D- it. Dives in and, and, and doing the work and she's doing the work. And then you and I had a conversation with, about uh, Netta and um, I sit on the GPAC for the county or for the city and um, watching this person who kind of got thrown in, in at the deep end in our community development. Um, I think she's doing a great job. Desire, right? Yeah. Desire. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, you know, cool is not, I'm, I'm no, a no, no, those are cool. Mom. I'm not sure. You're getting but. somebody new. You got a couple of repeat <laughs> offenders on there. We're not upset at you, but the coolness just flows out. You can't control it. <laughs> and that's why making the list was funny. And I loved having you on the list because cool is a total generic term again. Moving it forward. That's yeah. what Ventura Ford jokes about is that there's these general terms, right? Solving the housing crisis. All of these magical words and these terms. That's what we're here for is to get those in. So 
Thank you for helping us define cool. Now let's talk about pizza. Topper's Pizza. We're working on them. Transmission Brewery. Big fans. Love that place. What's your favorite topping pizza? Ooh. What's your favorite toppings? I love fresh jalapeno um, on almost Ooh. everything. Um, so I like spicy things. Um, like I like all of their pizzas. Honestly, <laughs> I'm not a fan of sweet sauces. But so um, on the on the pizza, do you like the pickled jalapeno? No, or you want the no, fresh jalapeno. Fresh. Yeah, fresh. Uh-huh. Yeah, not the kind that come in a can. And then put put the fresh on top of the pizza, and then put it in the oven. Yes. So it cooks a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, it brings out the heat. What about pineapple? Do you like pineapple? I love pineapple. Oh, love pineapple. Yeah. Would you put bacon extra, sausage? <laughs> would you put extra pineapple on your pizza? Ooh, I mean, if I had jalapeno, yes. Right? You have to have the sweet and spicy together. So that's, and that's at Choppers. What's the name of that sweet and spicy pizza? Have you had that one? Um, the Hawaiian Heat is my favorite. Oh. Gosh, he's good, Spencer. <laughs> All in. All in. Man. If Kelsey, Are you sure you I'm haven't gonna... listened to a podcast? Are you sure you haven't listened to a podcast? Now, have you had Kelsey on? Not yet. <laughs> but we've talked about pineapple before. Yeah, pineapple a lot. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I love that. You know, so I live in that neighborhood. You know this. And I love the way that that property is. It's mm-hmm. really adding value to the community, right? Like, you have a great brewery. There's that wonderful little cafe, front side, front side. Caf- cafe. Their kale salad is amazing. I mean, just, like, doesn't feel healthy, but is so incredibly healthy. And then you have toppers. I mean, it's great. You know, I'm you're going to this. That. I've named that the Stoke Zone, <laughs> just so you know. And she's coming on that. It goes from Spencer McKenzie's to the Ventura Music Hall. Yeah. And my goal ultimately. Well, you got to include the wharf, right? All of that. Yeah. Because, I mean, the wharf's like just a gem. And so the goal is to create the Ventura Forward Highway from the Mission to the Music Hall. And then, of course, it bleeds down to the fair and the promenade and the pier. But if we could have all of that, like, ambassador ridden if we could have special lighting you could have like a map that says mm-hmm. when you come to ventura night number one go to this place this place all on the ventura forward highway and then there's the stoke zone i've talked about it a few times but you're right on because i can see your face right yeah. away when you talked about it. it's so fun because it's new and it's different and Levere was a big part of that and people investing in our community is part of that so thank you again toppers i think as we talk about that though how do we improve that um, pedestrian overpass. You right? want to prove that? I think it, I mean, it's, it's, it's narrow. It's hard. Like if you go on it with a bike with kids, it's yeah. really hard. You know, you're always trying to navigate So you're talking that. Caltrans grant to upgrade and improve the pedestrian bridge. I mean, we want more people walking. We want more people riding bikes. We want more people skating, right? Like those are things that are good for our community. They're healthy. They're good for our kids. I mean, have you seen all these middle schoolers now on e-bikes? It's nuts. They're everywhere. I, <laughs> my, I see the bike case. My, I had to fight my kid not to get one for Christmas. The little son <laughs> like, of a gun. Who are these parents that are spending two grand on a bike for their kids? They're not, they're not good. They're not good people is who they are, Spence. They're not. The they're bane like, of my existence. No. Paddle, you little. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But it is interesting, right? Because I, I had this conversation with my husband. He grew up out on Silver Strand, right? And he and his buddies, they would ride their bikes all the way to the end of Victoria before Victoria came through. But they would pedal, right? So they'd be gone all day riding their bikes, pedaling all around town. Well, now you have these young kids who are able to basically drive, right? And they're, uh-huh. they're going all over the place. Um, it's, it's a game changer. Totally is a game changer. Those lack of muscles. Spencer McKenzie's. <laughs> Spencer McKenzie's Throwdown, the largest cornhole tournament in the world. Expanding more and more. John, shout out. P.S. Mm. New sponsors of our weekly uh, cleanups. Oh, Monthly fantastic. and weekly if you want to. John will buy tacos and a drink, non-alcoholic, for any of our volunteers, just so you know. Oh, that's Stepped fantastic. Up. Thank you. Stepped up huge. If you go to Spencer McKenzie's, what's your favorite thing on the menu? I like their fried uh, taco. The fried, fried the house, taco. the house fried. You know about the, the two for one happy hour special? No. Monday through Thursday. Ah, thanks for the hookup. You're welcome. Three thirty <clears> to five. It's very short, but buy one get one. <laughs> Ooh, and the beers. Just so you know, Spence. That who else offers buy one get one for their best item? I know. I should, you know, I shouldn't have the fried one, but that's my favorite. Oh, you have to do the fried. Okay, moving forward here. Uh, let's do one more little sponsor here. We got. Hmm. Goodwill. Goodwill. I'm working on Pete lately. I want to know, when you donate things, where do you donate them? Um, I do go to Goodwill a fair amount. Um, also, downtown next to Iron and Resin. Which one? What's that one called? The one that's on the, the little parking lot. Um, 
Spare? Uh, spare? No. Spare? No. no. Okay. Hmm. It, the, I, There's actually, a lot of options. If I'm, if I'm being honest, that one's just super convenient. Right? Yeah, that's cool. No, this is, th- this is what I told Pete about. I want to be in the conversation about thrift stores. Yeah. And, what, and then we're doing something new called VTA Free. I don't know if you've seen it on Instagram mm. at all. I'm doing something cool to where I think people want to donate certain things, but they also keep things in their house that they don't want to give away because there's still value, whether it's sentimental value, monetary value, yeah. right? But you'd be willing to give it to a community member you know, but not a stranger. Or a, or, a, or a thrift store. So I've been going through my stuff, posting on Instagram and giving stuff away for free. Posters, lunch pails, mm. different stuff that I couldn't give away. So my point is against goodwill, mm. we're going to start doing this thing where if you have things to give away, you can post it on social media, offer it to the Ventura Ford community, or I'll come pick it up for you and donate it to the local thrift store. Yeah. What do you think, Spence? I love the thrift. And one thing that's, uh, uh, I think, a bright light for kids, my kids love thrift stores. Absolutely love yeah. them. And I think they like the funkiness of finding something weird. But the other thing, the kids are starting to understand economy a little more. And they'll go into, I don't want to bash any retail outlet that's selling new stuff, but my daughter will say, Dad, you know that was $35 over there, and I got it for 12 here. And it goes into the community. And the kids are really starting to look at one – they see things that are really unusual, and the other is they understand the value of a buck. And yeah. I, I love the thrift stores. So, have you taken your kids to the bins? The bins, no. So, I just have to say, there's huge among teens, and my daughter loves this. Um, out in Oxnard, the Goodwill bins, it's by the pound. And so, huh. my kid will come home with like bags and bags and bags of stuff for mm-hmm. like $12. Because it doesn't matter. She found my husband a pair of perfectly sized Patagonia jeans, new with tags, buck 12 or 15 based on I, like. I the know pounds. all about it. The warehouse. Yeah, it's amazing. Off of Del Norte. I have to say, I don't have a lot of patience for it, but my kid could spend hours there. Yeah, it's very, my kids would get it. That sounds right up there, Alex. It's, it's kind, so fun. Yeah. The, the best way to describe it, and this is with <laughs> due respect. You know, like you put your trash in the trash can, and you're like, oh, it goes in the truck. <laughs> And you think it magically just goes in like a, a hole in the earth somewhere? No, it actually goes to a warehouse here off of Knoll Drive. And then it all goes in this huge thing, and then it gets taken away. It's kind of like with the warehouses. Yeah. This is all the stuff that didn't sell after a series of times. If you go to Goodwill, there's dates on the tags, and it's the store's job to rotate the goods. So the things that are there for certain months that don't sell go to the warehouse, and they go in what's called like the bin area, like Sabrina was saying. Yeah. So if you go in there, have some patience with kind of like the dirt in the area. But again, you can find some great stuff. Have patience. Spend, this is how you make a living. Like if you, there's people that are making tons yeah. of living. What they're doing there is they're sitting, they're buying stuff there and then shipping it down south or overseas or in other communities. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of good little stuff in there. It's amazing. She's come home with two vintage designer bags, leather made in Italy, $52 a piece. I mean, it's really just kind of crazy what they're what they're finding. But I agree with you that our, I think our young people are tired of just like what everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the, the, the you know, yeah. going to the mall and getting the same thing that everyone else can get. And so now what's funny is, you know, when I say to her like, oh, let's go shopping. She's like, I don't want to pay $30 or, you know, I, I don't even want you to pay, right? Like she's like, no, you don't need to buy me that thing because I could probably find it at the bins or something similar for, you know, $2. When do the bins open? How do you <laughs> they're open now? They're open every day. They're open all yeah. the time. Okay. I'll take you out there. We'll, we'll, we'll take a, a shot at the bins. It's hard to get a spot in there too. It's sometimes it's like yeah, you gotta kind of elbow, elbow your way in. It's an, no, it's, it's it's like a documentary. They can make okay. a documentary. And you can hold the camera. What did you get today? I got it. The golden ticket, Bruruka. You could like come out screaming. It sounds like a reality show. It they, is. They, they do it with, um, you know, the um, uh, uh, storage wars. Storage wars. Yeah. yeah. So you think it, it could be something like that? This is a great idea. Love it. Sabrina Rodriguez, school board president, Ventura City, amazing resident, and Studio 46. We're having a good time. Let's maybe get back a little bit on the topics of school stuff before <laughs> we wrap up our podcast. We're having so fun. We can't let her out of here too easily. Sabrina, what's your passion to the future now? We talked about where you're at. You've done things. I think it's teacher housing. The community thinks that teacher housing might be kind of one of your big accomplishments. Can you maybe touch about your future plans and what you're working hard and how we can help you create, yeah. create that dialogue? Because, you know, I'm thinking that your biggest passion might think what your, our biggest community need is. So I would say, well, first off, yes, I, I do care a lot about that. But I would say my biggest passion really is about 
getting our kids to read, right? Like that is mm. at the end of the day, the gateway to everything else. If you can read, you can do almost anything. And um, too many of our kids don't don't get to grade level in in just basic literacy skills. So you know that is first and foremost the the reason that. I still do this job because I want to make sure that our kids have opportunities. But a part of that is, um, you know, we recognize that as a district, we can't pay what some of our neighboring districts are paying. Uh, just based on our funding from the state, it doesn't it doesn't work the way that it does, say, for some someone like Port Wenemi or Oxnard. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's also more expensive to live in Ventura. So we are participating in a program right now through the California State School Board Association to learn about what it looks like to develop our own housing for our, for our staff so that we could provide below market rentals for young staff members to attract new teachers, you know, really getting the best and the brightest and bringing them to our town to, to teach our kids. And um, I think it's a great opportunity. I mean, it's something, as, as you mentioned earlier, we went through the 7-Eleven process. This district has a lot of property that we could look at as a place for staff housing. But it's not just for us. I mean, the city fire has a hard time getting dispatchers and, you know, some of those entry-level positions that don't pay enough to be able to rent in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're looking at nurses. Um, you know, my husband works for VCMC, and I was just hearing about how, how challenging it is for some of our entry-level healthcare workers, right? Like all of those people need a place to live, and they're great citizens. These are the people we want as neighbors. So how do we make it work so that we can house them here? No, it makes sense. And I'll just give you my sentiment upon that because you always listen to me in, in the community is move forward with that totally with that respecting grace of the land that we know of our open space. Because mm-hmm. just as the hillsides are there, I believe those unique spaces, talk about Washington School property, the old EP Foster, Blanche Reynolds area, Citrus Glen, there, there's a lot of property. So just... Use your leadership, use your knowledge, and just know how important that open space is to us. I know you've been doing it. People are getting a little bit scared, though, in that sense. And they're asking me a lot because they know I'm a huge advocate for open space and for recreation. Mm -hmm. And we're going to work together opening up our schools and our playgrounds more. We've talked about that. But the surplus land, it's like trade schools. Other things that we could do that incorporate. Like my biggest thing was like, let's not build more housing authority stuff. Let's use our land to build things that are for the kids. Like, I love teacher housing, if that's what teachers need and want with that land that the district owns. But I personally don't want to see our land that's for the schools that was donated by great people to go into housing or other options. And I'll give you a perfect example. I don't think you know about it. We're going to wrap up here fast. Is over off of Sadekoy Avenue. You know where the farm is now? Mm-hmm. That, that residential tract? Do you know that I heard a story that that land was actually donated to a university in perpetuity? for soil sampling and to do agriculture. This woman donated her father's land that was there to this university. They found some loophole, backdoored it, and sold it. That's the type of stuff that just breaks my heart to know that somebody could leave their inheritance, pass away for 10 years, and then a school, not not VUSD, Mm -hmm. but that. And I think that's what our community is really at right now. He talked about the fairgrounds and E.P. Foster's legacy about Seaside Park and perpetuity. If we talk about the house burning down, the foster house burning. I know you're totally yeah. aware of this stuff. Just <clears throat> want to make sure that this podcast, that our followers know that this is where our heart's at and, and that you're aware of the situation. Yeah, and I, I think this is why community engagement is so important, right? Yeah. Because the truth is that if we don't have more housing, we are going to continue to have declining enrollment, which means we will have to look at things like closing schools, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's the push and pull of... We, we have to, as a community, grow. It, it isn't possible for us to stay the same. But how do we do that in a way that's consistent with our values and that preserves the things that really matter to us? And I'll give you an example. We've been talking a lot about the district headquarters, right? So we, our district headquarters sits on 26 acres. We use a small percentage of that. Right. Right. So what would be the other things that could add value to the community and to us as a school district by using that property? Right. Like we have a lot of options and it's not just housing. I mean, nobody wants to see us go six stories and, you know, condos. Right. But but what does it look like for the school district to better utilize that land? And by the way, because we're not buying it, we can afford to do it right. Right. So developers are buying these really expensive parcels and they've got to get every last dime out of it. We're we're sitting on the most expensive part of it. 
right? And so now how do we take that and turn it into something that adds value for not just us, but for the whole community? And at the same time feeds us more kids so that we can keep those schools on the west side open. Episode 46 doesn't want to end, but spends all good things coming to an end. And I love what Sabrina said right there. She said this stroke. With reading, anything is possible. And I'm taking that away from that. I want to stay back to the basics. Sometimes I get wrapped up in my PTO presidency. I believe I'm the only male PTO president in the district too, Spence. I don't like to use those terms very often, but I, you know, it's fun to say that. <laughs> what do you think about that? What do you think about them apples? I think it's been that way for many, many years, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I remember my PTA, it was always the ladies. Yeah. Always the moms. And I want to encourage more of those moms and parents to get out there and be involved because we need everyone to kind of come together, be involved, volunteer, be in your committees. I put an application to be on the Measure E committee. So get involved there. We wanted to bring Sabrina in. Sabrina, this is a conversation that never ends with you. You're always there for us. Maybe we'll bring you back in for another podcast. He, my mentor here taught me something about having the fever. And when you're in the studio, I've got the fever. So <laughs> thank you for coming in. Anything else you want to give us before you leave? No, I'm just looking forward to taking you guys on a field trip to the cafeteria. I'm we, in. I'm we, in. We are gonna <laughs> go. But we want to go on Meatloaf Meat, Day. No, Meatball so Day. She said, you want Meatloaf? Yeah, meatloaf. You, you love balls. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. It was your. What was your thing on your uh, Facebook today? You got me. Uh, the oh no, I can't say that on the air. Come on, give it. Do you, you know what a spoonerism is? No. A spoonerism is if you say jelly beans and you say belly jeans. Okay. Uh, so uh, Shel Silverstein was a big fan of spoonerisms <laughs> in his writing, and I will tell you off podcast what I uh, cracked me up. Uh, Local place no. on a spoon. I, can I say yeah, it? On the podcast, you can't leave them hanging like that now. Okay. Literally, get it? There, there's a place <laughs> called Buck Falls. <laughs> a spoonerism of Buck Falls. And that's in the 805, And when you right? said that, it's, it's right over there at the Punch Bowls, right. apparently. So a spooner, if, if belly jeans and jelly beans, what yeah. would Buck Falls be a spoonerism on? I will go wash my own mouth out. And that's going to wrap up. And if I could just follow up on that, because I read a Shel Silverstein book uh, yesterday to really? a second grade oh. class because it is Read Across America this week. So hopefully people are reading to their kids and reading to their grandkids. And he's brilliant. He talks uh, to everyone on equal ground from parents to kids. Shell is the man. We got the diversity. We bring the knowledge. And we bring, most importantly, you and the humor and fun. Ventura forward. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.